Hey, Sarah. Yes, Josh? Are you ready? I think so. Great. But before we start, we here at the Puppa Pod, along with Dixon Place, stand with love in solidarity with Black, Indigenous, and persons of color in our communities and across the country against racism, white supremacy, and police brutality. And for more information and specifics on our respective anti-racism statements and plans of action, please visit DixonPlace.org and ShakeOnTheLake.org to find out how we're listening, learning, and working within our communities. Black Black Lives Lives Matter. Matter. Hi, my name is Fisa Mabena, and I think puppetry is challenging. Puppetry is hard because it's so many things at one time, and it requires crazy amounts of coordination that I was not gifted with. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Puppet Pod, the podcast in which we talk all things puppetry, uh, and we try to figure out the best way to do so on this audio medium for this very visual art form. Some might call us crazy. Some might call us pioneers. I don't know. Who can say? But uh, we're, we're doing uh, our best to kind of adjust to this new, mostly online world. And my uh, fellow friend in this journey, who I've come to really enjoy seeing across the interwebs and helping host, co-host this podcast and put it together uh, as engineer and producer, Sarah is here. As always, Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great. It's almost the weekend, but that doesn't mean anything because, you know, time's again amorphous during the times of covid so doing good how are you josh i'm i'm hanging in sarah all things considered uh, i have to say i've been working on some projects uh in the out of doors i built a standing planter a raised bed as they call it in the gardening business mm-hmm. um is it a business the hobby the field well the field is what things get planted in i suppose but um Da-da-tsh. i that was not meant to be that, and I'm sorry to everyone that just heard that. We are too. Regardless, I've been excited about growing my own vegetables and trying to find ways to be a little more self-sufficient in this crazy time and rethinking about all of the systems that we're all living in. Um, so this was a cool project to put together and then get in the dirt and hopefully the cucumbers and the broccoli and the watermelon and the herbs bring forth some treats later on. We'll see. First time gardening. Wow. Yeah, long answer. How about you, Sarah? (laughs) I don't have any gardening stories. I do have a fun little update, though, because we sometimes touch on on nature and wildlife in this podcast. Uh, More than we probably should for a puppetry podcast. But yes, Sarah, (laughs) give us an update. So my dog, unfortunately, killed a possum a couple days ago. But that possum had babies. (gasps) And the other night, the babies came out of their nest looking for food. And so now I have adopted... Two baby possums. Wow. With my mom. (laughs) Who doesn't want to help the possums, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Well, that's a cool update. Sorry about your dog being, you know. A dog. Listening to its own nature. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So it goes. Crazy Luna. Circle of life.
All right, well, that's a good transition, <laughs> I think, as good as any, uh, to introduce our awesome guest uh, today, uh, joining us on the Puppet Pod, uh, an incredible theater artist and maker, and um, in her words, a, a baby puppeteer, so we'll talk more about what that means. Uh, Safiso Mobena is here. Safiso, how are you? Hey, I'm so happy to be here. I um yeah, I'm doing okay, doing okay. Yeah, hanging tough in the uh, wild world where there just seems to be so many things to like take our attention. Um, mm-hmm. The least of which being a pandemic. But uh, yeah, how are how have you been holding up during quarantine time? Oh yeah, I have been holed up in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, um, I discovered a. Uh, a national park not far from me. Oh, really? It's like I lived here. Yeah, I lived here for a year and had no idea. And quarantine forced me to do some investigating. Um, and so that has brought me some peace to be able to just take walks in nature and do social distancing at the same time. Um, yeah. What is the national park? It's Highland, Highland National Park. Is it regional? I don't know these American things. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a national park, um, but yeah, it's not far from me. It's like a 20 minute walk. That's so cool. It's so nice to be able to have, have that ability to get out as I think everybody has that desire to socially distance and also, you know, feel, feel a little bit of the outdoors on our, our faces. I just Googled it. It just says park. I think I just added national to it. <laughs> it has a reservoir, so that's fun. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, we, we can say it's a national park. Why not? <laughs> well, I, I want to get to one quick thing, because if people are listening for context clues, you said, I'm not sure about these American things, um, which leads us to believe that, uh, you know, you uh, might not call America your, your hometown necessarily uh, or where you are from. So I wonder if maybe you could let people know uh, where, uh, where you grew up, because you said you've traveled a lot. You were like a drifter growing up. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was born in... Zimbabwe in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, and then my my parents moved to England shortly after I was born, and then back to Zimbabwe, and then to Botswana, but kept me in school in Zimbabwe, so I split my time between Botswana and Zimbabwe, oh, wow. and then decided South Africa was more interesting for my education, so then I split my time between South Africa, Botswana, and Zimbabwe. And uh, after completing my university studies, after getting my BA in South Africa, I went to England because during all of this, my mom had moved back to England for work. And so then I split my time between England, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and Botswana. (laughs) (laughs) That's so much traveling. You must have like the most frequent flyer miles. Oh, wow. No, not even. <laughs> Those are fancy things. Yeah, Those right, fancy right, right. Things. No, yeah. And yeah, anyway, I ended up in South Africa before deciding that I wanted to add America to that, to that <laughs> list. And here we are. Here we are. I came for grad school and I haven't left yet. Well, we are thankful to, that you came for grad school because that's where I, I met you first. Um, yeah. And, 
Uh, I we had the uh, fun pleasure of figuring out the experiment that is the class called Culture Hub through Sarah Lawrence College. Um, yes. I also went to grad school at Sarah Lawrence and uh, was asked to come back and help teach a distance remote learning class uh, in which we made experimental puppet shows with yeah. Culture Hub at La Mama with students from the Seoul Institute of the Arts. So I wonder yeah. if you could talk a little bit about what that class uh, was like for you on the inside, because I certainly know what it was like on our side as instructors and um, on the other side as students, it was, you know, its own thing as well. So I wonder if you could talk to people about what it is to be in a class like this and what it was like and what we did or tried to do, I guess. Uh, okay, wow. Well, in principle, the class was exciting to me because I, because I have been, like I, my life is entangled with so many different places. I like the idea of, of different places talking to each other, like geographies um, in conversation. And so I, I was really excited to collaborate with students from Korea, but it, it kind of didn't turn out like that, you know, but it was a, a good lesson just in terms of like cultural norms and stuff. The way it worked out is that we sort of like communicated with the professor over there. And so, yeah, there was, I don't know, because of that, it wasn't quite what I expected, but it was still an amazing opportunity and an, an amazing lesson. And honestly, like what we made at the end, like the piece that we made was pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty cool. And it was like with people across the world, it was amazing. It was super cool. Yeah, we worked with uh, Jeanette Yu, who is the, the lead instructor and uh, who is just another incredible puppet artist. She's and so great. Maker. Yeah, yeah. So great. And I learned a lot from her. I truly, people kept talking about Isadora and I was waiting for someone named Isadora to walk in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for, for people out there that aren't familiar with like the world of puppetry or projections, can you tell us what Isadora is? Uh, yeah, it's it's a program, and a lot of people use it for like live media, um, in terms of like screening stuff and like splitting screens and you know mapping and all that fun stuff. And so I remember being terrified, but yeah, Jeanette is so kind and patient, and so yeah, it was really awesome to have. Yeah, I I felt that on our end, um, there was a lot of generative stuff happening. Like we were making a lot and in conversation with each other. That was super exciting. I think I just had expected that we would be having that same interaction with the students in Korea, you know? Yeah, I, I think we had also hoped that that collaboration would have been a little bit more in real time. And you know, one of the difficulties of this, of course, is being in remote locations and that there's yeah. a 13 hour time difference. Time difference. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. we would show up for class at, you know, six at night and yes. they would be showing up for class at eight in the morning and we would yeah. have sometimes only 30 minutes of overlap to That's work right. through our um, our connection. And That's it was right. just a challenge, you know, it That's was part right. of the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it's all coming back. I'm like, yes. We were very, like, our energies were very different. Like, it was the end of the day for us. 
you know, we were like eating dinner while this is happening. <laughs> and like on the other side of the world, these students are sitting like bright eyed and bushy tailed. It's the first thing to do today. And, you know, it was, yeah. Yeah, fun times, fun times. Yeah. And we also think too um, that, it, I guess this was 2016, so that the internet, you know, is strong enough to support something like that. And now in 2020, of course, like Zoom and video conferencing has come light years from what it was like in 2016. But back then, of course, it was still pretty shabby. There were some moments where the connection was a little rough and difficult. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I just saw um, one of my friends, Katie Pearl, directed a a production at Wesleyan and it was done entirely on Zoom. Mm. And like watching what they were able to do, there was like choreography, like all of these people in their homes, the green screen stuff, like across multiple screens. I was looking at this like, I was in a class like this and like, this was not like, yeah, anyway, it was, yeah, it has come in just four years, is it? Yeah, it's come a long, long way. Yeah, the, the sophistication of the technology and, and what is able to be done, I think, just from our own homes through through Zoom versus, you know, a, a very amazing studio with like the best technology, plus then like the super studio at the Seoul Institute of the Arts with even better technology. And even yeah. then, you know, as we're trying to like control Isadora on our end for some work over in Korea, the lag was still there. The connection would be spotty sometimes. Um, yeah, there were there were so many things that we were working through in order to try to make this piece uh, hopefully feel collaborative. And that was that was definitely a challenge. Yeah, yeah. But a, a, a cruel way to close that distance off and that that I really appreciated about that show. Um, and for you, I guess, was that class the first time that you had, I guess, been introduced to puppetry or was puppetry something that you had been working on uh, before coming to Sarah Lawrence? No, I, um, <laughs> I mean, I was a, aware of, of puppetry. Uh, my undergrad really respected Handspring Puppet Company. And we studied a lot of work like Uber and the Truth Commission. Oh yeah, yeah. We studied that. And so that, you know, that exposure to it was there, but in terms of actually doing it, um, my first exposure was at Sarah Lawrence and I was taking Culture Hub and I was taking Lake Simon's puppetry class at the same time. And so, yeah, it was really great to have that exposure. I have to say, though, I was not a great student. Why do you say that? Um, you might not have noticed this, Josh, but in Culture Hub, when it came to all things puppeteering, I found ways to not actually handle any puppets ever. I was like, I'll hold the flashlight. I got the light, everybody. I'll hand you the shadow puppets. I'll be the person that like takes them and hands them to you in order. I'll be the narrator. Like I was, I'm, I was in the, in the production. I, and one time you handed me the, I think Tom Lee made them. They were these really beautiful puppets that the sisters that we used. Oh yeah, I made those. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. you made those? Yeah, yeah. You made those? I did, yeah. Okay then, Josh, they were beautiful. <laughs> Thanks. My bad, I try to give your credit to someone else. 
That's okay. Uh, give it to Tommy. He's great. I love Tommy. <laughs> but you like handed me the puppet. So like it was the first day you brought them. You brought them to class for us to play with. And you turn around and you hand me the puppet. And you're like, okay, let's get started and let's play. And I promptly turned around and handed it to the next. I think it was Leonie. I was just like <laughs> promptly turned right around. I was like, that's from Josh for you. And I kept <laughs> I don't know why I was so scared. I was I was terrified. I was I was scared to break something. I was scared. Yeah, I was very, but I was interested. Like I wanted to be there and I wanted to learn, but I was really scared. And I think what I've learned is that with puppetry, you have to, how you learn and how you grow is by doing. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing where you can just watch and, you know, absorb by. There's not many things that you can learn by osmosis, but <laughs> um, yeah, it really is a tactile thing you have to just get in there so i did by the end of it but yeah i i was forced to i mean lakes puppetry class that was how you passed right like you have to actually yeah do stuff so i overcame that <laughs> yeah the hands-on nature of it was something that uh, again i think as for a lot of puppet people feeling and, and doing and learning you know and as theater makers we're we're so practical in, in a lot of how we do these things and you're right like just uh, observing which is one system of learning a lot of puppetry especially more traditional japanese forms you observe and you observe and you observe and then it's your time and you had better That's right. be really good and have taken it all in and gotten it right because That's there right. isn't like the same style of rehearsal process that maybe we have in the west and there is kind of that really heightened focus and uh observation needed in, in that particular learning environment yeah uh, whereas here you know we just kind of throw people right in and be like all right this puppet needs to jump in the air and do a cartwheel and then land on one arm while the yeah. other arm disconnects and then reattaches go right. and there's go. two people to do it go right right <laughs> whereas like with bunraku puppeteers right it's yours and then you and then you get to hold the feet right <laughs> that's right that's right you get to watch for a long time and then maybe you get to do the <laughs> hardest part the part where you're squatting all the time <laughs> trying to make the puppet walk yeah <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's pretty incredible um so would you say then part of lake's class and like just the constant practice uh there was kind of where you started to feel more comfortable would you call yourself a puppeteer then no, um, no, I, I had a conversation with Dan Hurlin in my second year after having taken Lake's class and, you know, we were having a conference and, you know, Dan turns to me, he says, how's your puppeteering? And I, I wanted to lie because <laughs> I love Dan and I, I always want to please him. Yeah. But I remember just sitting on that couch in his office and just saying, you know what, Dan, I took Lake's class and that's what I can say <laughs> is that I was there. I don't know. I don't know if I can answer that. And, you know, he laughed it off and gave me an opportunity to be in his, you know, in his piece that he, he's been working on in, in Bismarck. Yeah. And, and still I felt like an imposter um, because I, I really, yeah, I didn't feel confident that I could, yeah, I, didn't, I just didn't feel confident about it. And then I ran into you there 
at Dan Herlin's house in that first residency. And yeah, yeah. You bought the lie too. <laughs> and then gave me an opportunity to do Puppet Block. And I promptly got some friends together because I was like, these people think I'm a puppeteer and I, I don't know what to do about it. Um, and I think- <laughs> I like that it's like a condition. They think that I'm a puppeteer and I don't know how to deal with it. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Um, and I think after that and like get, getting feedback about whatever we made, cause I don't know, I think we made a weird like object theater piece like an yeah with like a live feed camera like yes. running through a miniature set yeah yes yeah and so after that and like after getting feedback and honestly after like seeing all the other pieces i started to get inspired to actually just mess around and try and so yeah i i was like let me just let me just try and then i got a gig with collaboration town and they put a puppet in my hand and they were like it's a musical you're gonna have to sing and puppeteer, go. Then there was like nowhere to hide. I had to just learn. Um, and we had Pam, I, I don't wanna mispronounce her name, Pam Ar Archerio? Arcerio from Sesame Street. Oh yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love Mama Pam, but I know I'm messing up her name. Archiero, Arciero, uh, Mama Pam, you know I love you. I'm sorry. Blame yeah, it on. I love you, Pam. Shout out to you, Pam. Um, but yeah, working with her was really great, and because she's the one who just like demystified everything for me. She was like, "Listen, honey, <laughs> you just have to learn. You just have to try because every puppet is different. You just have to actually." try and just mess around until you find something that works for you so do it and so that's when it was unavoidable and i used the word puppeteer in reference to myself after the the, the long journey of impostering and wondering how to work through the condition of <laughs> being a puppeteer uh you now wear the mantle proudly <laughs> That's pretty cool. Well, um, we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about uh, what it means to be a puppeteer with Safiso Mubena. We'll be right back. As a listener of the Puppet Pod, have you ever wondered aloud to yourself or perhaps muttered under your breath, how do I become a puppeteer? Are you interested in being a part of a collaborative team of wonderfully weird humans making new work together in a supportive environment guided by professional puppet artists? And are you thirsty to see brand new works of original puppet theater from emerging artists? Well, then we've got a treat for you. The Object Movement Program at the Center at West Park in New York City. Object Movement is a program of the Center at West Park for the development and presentation of new works by puppeteers and object theater artists, curated by the incredible artistic triumvirate of Maiko Kikuchi, Rowan McGee, and Justin Perkins. Since 2017, Object Movement has supported artists to develop their voices and their work, addressing eternal human questions and the urgent challenges of our society through puppetry and object theater, all culminating with an annual festival of puppet performances. Participants in object movement residencies and digital labs meet weekly to share the questions they're wrestling with and the discoveries they've made. Participants take turns sharing works in progress and offering and receiving peer feedback with moderation and support from the curators, culminating in a festival of lab experiments. 
Artists may apply with specific projects in mind or a desire to explore and experiment. A safe space for experimentation and embracing your inner, I don't know. Apply for an object movement residency today. For more information on upcoming showings and residency applications, please visit www.centeratwestpark.org backslash object dash movement. That's centeratwestpark.org backslash object dash movement. Drink the puppet Kool-Aid. Move some objects. Object movement. The Puppet Pod. And we are back with more Safiso Mubena here on The Puppet Pod. Safiso, I know as artists because puppetry is one of the things that you you do as a theater artist and this is a question that i ask a lot of the people that come on that we we get to talk to is when someone asks you about your job or what you do the context of course is what determines a lot of this but like how do you talk about your work if puppetry isn't like your your first thing that you would identify uh, as your primary art form. How do you like talk about your work? And do you say you're a puppeteer? Do you say you're a puppeteer and other things? I'm, I'm just curious how you identify as an artist. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think I use words like multidisciplinary, theater maker, storyteller, because to me, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy the storytelling and I, I, I will use whatever means I feel are appropriate for the story to tell it, you know? And so puppetry is one of those things. And it, yeah, it's really helped me. I recently was trying to write something in response to Roxanne Gay's book, Hunger. And I really wanted to write about um, my body and my relationship with my body and actually it ended up being like how it ended up coming into being was through puppetry I collaborated with Maria Camilla to make a, a puppet and did this thing at puppet block last year that was called phenomenal woman um, hashtag black girl magic and it and I didn't even I wasn't intending for it to be that way and when I started out responding to hunger, I wasn't imagining it as a, as a puppet show or a show that had elements of puppetry in it. But that ended up being the most natural way to investigate that. And the interplay between my body as a performer as, and an actor and the puppets was what was interesting. So I guess to like answer your question, I use words like multidisciplinary and, and just maker. And I, I appreciate that because, again, I, I similarly, I guess, depending on who I'm talking to, you know, it can change and then how long I want to spend, you know, explaining what a, being a puppeteer is or a puppet artist is or a multidisciplinary performer, you know, what that, what that means. What that means. Do you, what do you identify yourself as? Like, how do you introduce yourself? I guess it depends on 
where I am, because when I'm teaching, I, I teach at Stony Brook University and had been teaching communication skills with scientists, how to use theater and improv skills to help communicate your science better with empathetic listening and uh, things like that. So um, when I'm talking to those students, I usually just tell them my title and my position and then you know depending on how the at one point during the semester i let them know like oh yeah i'm also a puppeteer and working on these things and then they were all like huh and they got really interested right but i never thought to lead with that with that group because it's not a puppetry class yeah so i guess you know it's based on on context right and being a puppeteer which i am also feels sometimes limiting because as puppet artists or theater makers that use puppetry, which is how Dan would talk about himself, you know? Finger snaps. (laughs) To borrow from the youth. That's right. That's right. Um, Shout out to the youth if you're listening, youth. Uh, Appreciate you uh, giving some love to the puppet mob. But uh, yeah, it's... It feels limiting when the form of puppetry is so all-encompassing. And you were kind of like alluding to that earlier about like puppetry being so many different things. Yeah. And and I'm curious for you, um, is there something in that that really draws you? Because I know in talking with Dan and working with Lake and Tom Lee, what I always kind of started to see was I, I was able to engage in other things like sculpting and building and design that I had never really done before because I was primarily just an actor. I don't want to say just an actor, but I, I showed up and people told me what to do and then I moved around stage and that's, that's what I did. And it was certainly a wonderful skill set to be able to do and to you know be employed at doing. And you know there are so many people that are incredible at it. I don't think that I ever was quite incredible at it. But then I found puppetry and it was like... It made me feel a little more well-rounded and maybe like an artist for the first time because I was doing more. So I'm curious for you, like, were there some of those touchstones for you? Yeah, I think why I actually got into theater was I had a a mentor uh, named Andrew Buckland, and he's a South African artist, and he uses physical theater. And just with his body, he would there was this um, this magical realism, right? So like, there was something about like bursting the the, the bonds of reality, the bounds of reality, that works too, the bounds of reality, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That was super exciting. And I think I felt that I, I still wanted to go even further. And like puppetry for me really does, like it takes the limitations of, this this reality and what my body can do because my body can only do so much right right but a puppet like you were saying earlier you're like yeah you just like throw the puppet in someone's hand and you're like it needs to do this and this and this and spin them and like float through the air and like that kind of visual landscape and the openness of that is really what is so exciting to me and what what i'm finding is so helpful about puppetry. I've recently been reading a lot of Afro-surrealist writers and all just like surrealist writers, but particularly the Afro-surrealists like Suzanne Saucer. And so there is something about this like visual subconscious dreamscape thing that I realize that my own body can interact with, but doesn't quite have a, you know, 
didn't quite have a place in. And um, puppetry is an amazing opportunity, I think, to enter that for me anyway. Yeah, I love that. There's something about, like you were mentioning, the boundlessness um, that puppetry can provide, uh, especially, you know, uh, with something like gravity. Yeah. This don't have to abide by the rules. They don't of have they don't have to. <laughs> they yeah. can and and also plane, right? Like where like there's like it, we can just change where is the floor? The floor can can shift and and move in ways that we can't. It's yeah, it's very it's very exciting. You were talking about how uh you've been a part of a puppet block a couple of times. Um and I'm curious uh if you could maybe talk a little bit about um, the opportunities that Puppet Block kind of affords because you said you saw other artists doing things and taking chances and trying things that kind of opened you up to some new ideas of, of puppetry and performance and Dixon Place, which is a, a co-producer of the, the Puppet Pod, which we're so happy about. And uh, I've been lucky enough to curate some Puppet Blocks over the years and participate in them myself. Um, and uh, as an artist, you know, we're always looking for opportunity and Puppet Block is this really cool resource. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your couple of times uh, working through that. Yeah, I, so I had heard of Puppet Block the year prior to that. So 2017, a friend of mine, um, Hyung Suk, performed a piece that we kind of collaborated on. I, I did the sound design for him. I was just very grateful for you affording me that opportunity and being there and seeing people work, like showing stuff that was like already like up and running, you know, fully made, um, asking questions. Like some of some of the presentations were literally just like in initial steps, initial like asks. Yeah. Like, oh, this is like a thing that I'm trying. Um, and some were like first or second drafts you know and i i appreciate that there's a space that you can that you can do that you know i think la mama is also a place that yeah. has that kind of bring it as it is it's about the joy of making and the joy of process yeah and yeah particularly i mean i want to shout out ellie over there at dixon place because shout out to ellie Covan. yeah yes yeah. but she when she approached me to do a puppet block 2019 she used this phrase. She said, works in, in nascency are fine. She said, at any stage, you can bring anything. And that freedom <laughs> is a gift. Right. Because a lot of artists don't have that privilege. You know, like, not to rail against capitalism no rail. or anything. <laughs> Please rail like, against capitalism. <laughs> But like so much of it, like I think that artists really struggle in, with um, space, opportunities to present, money to present, right? That like it becomes a challenge to actually make work and explore because you're under the gun of finances, under the gun of like space. It's hard. It's really difficult out here in these streets and places like Dixon Place are amazing because honestly, besides the piece that I did in 2018, I didn't have a track record really. So to have that opportunity is invaluable and I'm truly grateful for it. I, I, yeah, I don't think that I would be exploring like these visual landscapes if it hadn't been for that. 
and you get paid. Come on, Dick Place. <laughs> God bless y'all. I said. Yeah, not to mention the drink tickets, too. They're like, oh. Uh, yes. <laughs> come on and have a drink, too, because you were performed in this thing. And give some tickets to your friends, and then let's spend more money at the bar, which is, like, a huge way that they're able to, like, keep going is, keep like, going. what they do at the bar. Yeah. I try to give my drink ticket back to Ellie because I was like, it's too much. You're doing too much. And she looked at me. They looked at me and they were like, no, take it. And I didn't argue that time. I took it and I went and had my drink. Um, yeah. And I, w- I, I, I accepted the grace, the grace in that. But yeah I, yeah, I was like, y'all are just, it's too much. It's too generous. Yeah, Dixon Place is an incredible incredible theater space and you know hoping that they're able to weather this this storm until whatever happens and we can gather in theaters again but they've been doing a lot of great work with their dp tv and their online content and um yeah big big love for ellie and everybody over at dixon place who work so hard 365 days a year making original new theater and giving people a chance that maybe have never had one before yeah yeah that's it's I, I have a passion about access and and i think that's really great is that they're giving access to a lot of voices that wouldn't be heard otherwise yeah yeah, yeah. there's something that you were alluding to a little bit earlier which i have started to think a lot more about and especially in these moments since the murder of George Floyd and these movements toward uh, more equity, racial justice, dismantling racism and white supremacy in all of the systems uh, that we are participating in and complicit in. And one of the things that I'm noticing too, and you and I were just kind of briefly talking about it, is this idea of how capitalism is one of these systems that really is the root of so many of these evils and profiteering and we're bound by these resources in so many ways, whether it's space or it's time or it's Mm -hmm. funders or donors Mm -hmm. um, and trying to pay people a living wage to make the work that they do. And Mm -hmm. I think because you and I both have had uh, exposure to Sarah Lawrence and there's this really big, push in that grad program because of Dan, I think, and Lake and a lot of the other teachers, that um, process is really important, right? Yeah. And of course, because of capitalism, there has to be a product at the end. That's kind of what the system does. Yeah. And it pushes and forces things through that grinder sometimes when um, they're not quite ready. That's not to say that product isn't important and can't be like a really good outcome or goal you know for makers and artists and deadlines are important in all of those ways but i'm starting to realize myself that you know there has to be better ways that we can start to think about how theater can work where product isn't always the main focus the main focus um it's interesting that you say that i i went back to teach at sarah lawrence this past year and one of the classes that I inherited was global theater. <gasps> oh, wow. And, I loved that yeah. class when I took it. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Ernest Abuba, that was like an earnest, like it was centered around his experience. And, you know, I knew that I couldn't go in there and pretend that I was around when La Mama was starting. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. Like Ernest was. Yeah, like yeah. Ernest actually was. And so I, 
we, instead we started to interrogate the label global theater, whether it's possible, um, you know, what inclusivity means, right? Because mm. the word inclusive, it suggests that something is being allowed into something else, right? And, and that's yeah. not always equitable. It implies like a power dynamic there. Right, right. And so we were talking about whether like multicultural theater is actually possible. And anyway, uh, global theater is a class where over the course of the year, students go to La Mama bi-weekly and see a show there. And one thing that came out of it, like when we sat at the end of the year and discussed the, like the class and, and everything we've been through and we had this like reflective moment, one of the students said, and everyone like agreed was one of the students noted that La Mama is so interesting because it feels like they favor process over product and it's non-negotiable. And so there were things that we went to see that were like on the season, <laughs> like they were part of the season. And like some of the things were like, wow, like Trojan women and uh, Germaine Aconi's piece. I think it was called Somewhere at the Beginning, right? And like, it was just like a whole experience, right? It was incredible. And then there were other things that were on the same platform that I left thinking there's hope for me. <laughs> that sounds shady, but I was like, if this thing got a whole two week run, right? And it is just so like messy mm -hmm. and like not, you know, it's just messy and just all over the place. And it's still finding out how to articulate itself. It's finding its language. It's finding its legs. And it had a two week run in the city or like a three week run. Come on. That is like, it made, it was encouraging and you know, it yeah. sounds shady, but actually like, that's what my students really grabbed onto is that there are places in New York where you can actually just try. Yeah. Yeah. And where you can let the work dictate itself. You can let the work grow at its own pace without like, and this is controversial, but what one of the things my dad does for a living is he gets bananas that are green from uh, South Africa and he brings them into Botswana and then they, they ripen them in cold rooms, right? It's unnatural. Oh. They yeah, taste yeah. really good. They taste really good, you guys. <laughs> but, low-key unnatural and i think about like the pressure sometimes is like i know it sounded shady before and i think i definitely played into that and in how i phrased it but but yeah like we're, we're like ripening these bananas a lot because of the pressures of capitalism and the pressures of the industry and artists are like having to just yeah yeah i don't know there's a, a joy i think to a place like Dixon Place and the Mama that centers exploration. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I sorry, I just I just wanted to uh, publicly say that I enjoyed all of the pieces that I saw at La Mama and I was not being shady, <laughs> even though it sounded like it. I don't think it sounded shady at all. I think you explained exactly what I felt when I saw a lot of those pieces too, right? Which was 
you can tell that maybe they that messiness that you describe right is like an exploration in la mama you know wholeheartedly embraces experimental theater and yeah. experimenting with form yeah and you know having grown up mostly with like narrative western stories you show up at la mama and then you see things that are presented in a different lens that maybe yeah doesn't really have a story per se, but yeah. it could be a series of images or leave you with a feeling or yeah. it, something resonates in a way that's different from like beginning, middle, and story structure, right? Yes, yes. And that I loved because it opened me up to possibilities of like, oh, this isn't how we have to tell stories. Y yes, right? yes, um, yes. And that eye-opening moment for me was really encouraging in that class, you know, big shout out to Ernest and La Mama was uh, revolutionary for me as my in my growth as an artist was to see and be exposed to these different ways of, yeah. of making and what theater could be yeah well let's talk more about how we dismantle capitalism <laughs> when we come back with Safiso Mobena The Puppet Pod is produced in collaboration with Dixon Place, whose virtual programs are free and participating artists are remunerated. That's right, artists getting paid to do what they do even during a pandemic. Donations help us bring together visionary artists and adventurous audiences and support the community during this challenging time. So if you like what you are listening to in the Puppet Pod, please consider making a gift to dixonplace.org. Dixon Place's puppetry programs, including Puppet Block, Mine by Shana Stripe, and New Money by Maria Camilla, are made possible in part with generous support from the Jim Henson Foundation and donors like you. Thank you. This episode of the Puppet Pod is brought to you by Wear a Face Covering When You Go Out in Public! The Puppet Pod. And we're back with more Safiso Mubaina. Uh, Safiso, we were just talking a little bit about how we figure out new ways of working where it's not so product-based, you know, like the, the lifelong goal is destroy capitalism. That'd be great. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but how do we not let that drive our, our making processes, you know, and maybe there are other... Maybe there are other ways and, you know, I'm not exactly sure how, but I'm excited to explore what is now possible because we're having to rethink so many things because of mm. the pandemic, but also trying to dismantle these larger systems of uh, racism and white supremacy and decentering whiteness from the stories that are kind of mostly available to us. So I think all part and parcel is giving there's an opportunity, I think, to really affect some real change. I don't know that I have the answers yet, but it's a really incredible place to think about and like reflect on how we can make something that feels more equitable, not just in society, but theater, and, and make that more reflective of it too. Yeah, I can't speak to the system and the systemic problems, but dreaming about a situation where people can bring their whole selves to the workspace. Something that came up um, this past week, 
I spent a lot of time in these virtual spaces with a lot of Black artists talking about their experience in, in the theater world mm -hmm. and how the reality of assimilation and having to like blend in yeah. takes a, a toll on one's, it takes a toll in every, in every way that you can imagine, you know, and, and how other realities, the inequity and yeah, like the inequity and wealth distribution and things like that is, is actually like an, a barrier and like a layer to art making for artists of color in a way that's like detrimental to the work sometimes. I, one thing that was really inspiring is one woman said that the fact that people make work in spite of all of these things is actually it's just testament to the gold that's inside. And, you know, like listening to an older mama say that really was the most comforting thing. It was the most comforting thing in a very dark time. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't even, I can't even begin to fathom how we tackle these things. It's yeah. I, I am excited to explore it and to give voice to it. I think I, I've been questioning what the purpose of my making art is in this time. Yeah. And I, I come from, I come from Zimbabwe and I'm, I'm trying to write something about uh, Zimbabwe, the pre-colonial landscape in Zimbabwe. Um, so I've been doing a lot of reading about art in Zimbabwe and, and art during the colonial times and there was something called Pungwe and it was part rally, part concert, part exhortation, <laughs> part community gathering, part theater, part poetry, all the things, mm -hmm. right? And, and there was something very grassroots about it, but it was a way to inform particularly people in the rural parts of Zimbabwe what was happening at a political level. It was a way to make sure that information was trickling down to even the, the, like the most remote parts of our country. And that in those days when Pungwe was happening, it was in relation to the liberation struggle, right? So it was like communicating ideas and messages about the struggle for freedom and the struggle to like come out of, oh, pardon me, someone's here. <laughs> is that your doorbell? That is my doorbell. Whoa! Um, it's a very thanks. musical doorbell. It is. I think my roommate's gonna help me. Thanks, roommate. Shout out to your roommate. Thanks, Rumi. Shout out to Kismet. <laughs> She's great. She's an actor who just graduated from Actors Studio. And uh, yeah, she's the next big thing, man. Like. It's crazy watching um, all of these managers and agencies trip over her. Like that's cool. Yeah, like literally tripping over themselves to get to her. It's really exciting. Uh, I also just want to highlight, you know, the m ability that we have to be able to like talk through Zoom and not have to be in the same space and still like make something like a podcast and it being highlighted when real life interrupts like your doorbell. Yeah. I yeah. really have loved that about this thing, you know, like, um, you know, we don't have these like super upscale recording studios to be able to go to and instead yeah. we're doing it in this way and I love that you can see the cracks and the yes. messiness around yes. how we're making this podcast. Yes, yes. 
Process over product. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> um, you were you were saying something that I have also feel like I've been trying to reflect on myself, which is what is my place as an artist in affecting change, and maybe it means not doing it through art. And you were talking about writing and, and, and studying a little bit more um, about Zimbabwe. And that to me has been another really interesting part of all of this, because I think those of us that are really hungry and see the injustices and, and, you know, for me, you know, being complicit in some of those things and wanting to do better. And uh, Nefri Amini said it so well earlier on our podcast, we, we talked to her and she said, reflect on if you're doing more harm than help or you're helping more than you're harming and how yeah. you then move forward after that and yeah that's so that, good it's so good and you know i just love 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 nefri um and it makes me wonder about my place as an artist and like maybe there's something more out, out there like past being an art maker what what my place is and that's been a really interesting place to be, you know, how do yeah. we really affect some change in, in some ways? And maybe art isn't necessarily the way. The way, right. It's like, it, it's a, it can be used as a tool, but I know that particularly living in New York at this time, I, I am realizing I've been here for four years and, you know, there's like the America that I've interacted with through movies and, and history books and like documentaries and music in a, in a really big way. And then there's the reality of being here. And, mm -hmm. um, and so what's, I've, I've started to engage and like educate myself about this landscape because if I like what you're talking about when you say, how do we participate? It's like, I, I'm learning this landscape so I know how to do more, like how to help more and mm -hmm. not do harm. And so, yeah, I've, I've done workshops and participated in things and like I'm, I'm educating myself. And honestly, it's a very strange time to be here because uh, my home country is in, a, is in crisis, you know? And so mm -hmm. I've also been wondering what is my role here? Like <laughs> if I'm not home, how am I helping them at home? And how am I helping, how am I helping the place that I'm at that is housing me? right? That is now an adopted home that is hosting me. How am I helping here too? So yeah, it has, it has resulted in me reading a lot, learning a lot, engaging with people that know a lot and, and partnering with organizations. I've been, I, I read somewhere that um, where you spend your money reveals where your heart is. You vote um, with your dollars. Right. You know? And so I have been, yeah, I, I've been, trying to reflect where my heart is yeah yeah by participating that way too i i really hope and i know a lot of artists are there because i think the arts and empathy are just so connected and artists kind of feel in this different way i think than a lot of other people do or other professions i think maybe mm. and i hope that that can extend to to more and i hope it is you know I, we, we certainly see it playing out right now and yeah the, this moment of reflection and uh figuring out our place you're right like i love that that idea of your heart is where you're investing um mm -hmm. yeah that that 
resonates a lot. That resonates a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> and I just want to say it's really nice to see all these really intelligent people, these knowledgeable people about like, I'm looking at lawyers and, and people who are like economists and, you know, they're like, say like, you know, they're like thinking about these structures that we've taken for granted in yeah. these new ways. And I'm like, okay, Pungwe style. How do I get that message to the people? Let's go Pungwe. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Safisa, this has been so incredibly awesome. Before we say goodbye, we do a thing at the very end of each podcast called the Puppet Hot Pot. The Puppet Hot Pot. In which uh, I ask a series of quick rapid fire questions. Okay. Um, yep. And just, you know, come up with whatever answer is there for you at the top. Are you, are you ready for the Puppet Hot Pot? Is that something you're willing to jump into? Uh, I am willing to jump in. Am I ready? That's another thing entirely. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's, that's how you got into puppetry, right? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, so here we go. Number one, what is your favorite form of puppetry right now? Uh, Bunaku. What can this moment of quarantine and slowing down teach us? Uh, to hear, to listen, to listen, to actually listen, not just to hear, but to, to listen and to listen to ourselves because our voices get drowned out by the hustle. Do you have any new hobbies that you have developed in this time? Yes, thank you for asking. I've started making EDM music. I, I have, I started making these cool little tunes and I'm having a great time. I've invested in a MIDI controller and uh, Ableton Live is now my friend. Um, nice. I also started making weird stop motion things. Like I've just started making like weird little creative projects. Some of them I share on my Instagram, some not, but yeah. What is a fun fact about Safiso that we don't know? I, I heard one during a break that you were uh, a former actor in a touring Shakespeare company. Um, I which, sure was. <laughs> which is super fun, but I wondered if there is something else that, that maybe you would like to share. Yeah, when I was five, my mother, according to my mother, I ruined a nativity play with my singing. So. <laughs> I would love to see a recreation of that moment <laughs> as an adult, just to see like, what that could look like. She took me home and she was like, I'm going to have to teach you how to sing because what you did can never happen again. Oh my gosh. Uh, the joys of parenting. Right? <laughs> how do I hide this embarrassment? <laughs> um, what is a favorite place that you have been in as a, an artist that your work is taking you? A favorite place. Ooh, and this is quick fire. Uh, St. Anne's was pretty cool, but okay, St. Anne's was cool, but Flint Rip. Flint Rep and like their community outreach and just like their sense of family and like that whole Midwestern kindness thing was everything. Flint, Michigan. Awesome. That's two. That's two. Whoops. That's okay. <laughs> Favorite places. Favorite places. Yeah. Um, 
This is a question that I still think about because, you know, I am a 38-year-old person, but I don't know yet what I want to be when I grow up. And I'm curious to ask you that question. Like, do you know what you want to be when you grow up? Oh. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but I can describe it. Oh, yeah. I want to be an old, like an old mama with an S-curl that's graying out. If you don't know what an S-curl is, Google, it's worth it. I'm going to have an S-curl. My hair's going to be salt and pepper. I'm going to have like beads and I'm going to be walking around the neighborhood telling these youths about themselves and telling them that they are gold and they're enough. That's, that's what I, that's, I don't know what, if that's a job, but that's what I want to be. I love that. I love that. I love that. And finally, if you had a, a wish for the world, what would, what would that wish be? Ubuntu. That we would live with Ubuntu, that we would understand um, each other's humanity and that I can only be because you are. And, and and that we would dismantle any ideology, any system that does not have Ubuntu at its center. Hell yes. Safisa Mubana, you're an incredible artist and, and human being, and I'm just so thrilled to have had time so with you today. So are you. Oh, well, thanks. I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate your time. This has been awesome. It's been awesome. Thank you, Josh and Sarah. Y'all are the greatest. The Puppet Pot, hosted by Josh Rice and me, Sarah Stabley. Produced and engineered by also me, Sarah Stabley. Additional editing by Josh Marks. Theme song and incidental music by Seth Forgolzia. Additional music by Hazar and Scott Holmes. Executive produced by Dixon Place and the New York State Puppet Festival, a program of Shake on the Lake and Josh Rice Projects. Support is provided by Dixon Place, the Jim Henson Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Arts Council for Wyoming County Community Arts Grant. This decentralization program is made possible in part with funds from the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature, administered in Wyoming County by the Arts Council for Wyoming County. To make donations, please visit shakeonthelake.org or dixonplace.org. For more information about the artists featured on our podcast, please visit www.thepuppetpod.com. Yeah,